Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. So this morning we're going to be continuing through Romans 15 in the New Testament, and boy, we've been motoring through Romans, um, just an awesome book to study, just so much, and at the end of after 16, I'll kind of wrap up some of the main points that really God wants us to know through his word. So Romans 15, starting in verse 1, and the last time we covered the message was titled Liberty or Love. Bible talks about freedom in Christ, you know, not these overbearing, over-restricted uh, laws, every single laws we got to look through. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 predicted a time that it would be on our hearts. We would just want to please God. So in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, it was you have to know the law, you have to do this, you have to do that. Since Christ, you know, with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we understand God more we uh you know he he convicts us he shapes us he encourages us on a daily basis uh with his giving of the holy spirit so we kind of come from it from the other way however there's going to be times as we grow in the lord and we're going to look at maybe others who are new in the faith that are still you know in their old life there's in a sense that they're they want to please God so much that they're almost fearful of what they can do and can't do and because they don't have the maturity yet. So for those of us that have the maturity, we do have that freedom in Christ, uh, but we also, we're patient with them. Um, we might have the freedom to do things that it's, doesn't, it's not sinful in the Bible, but they have all these kind of rules they're still following. So we kind of help them along, right? So liberty or love, there's going to be times that I'll say that when we talk about this, you go out into public places as a mature believer that you restrict yourself uh, from certain things because there might be some immature believers or or scared or new or weaker believers that you don't want to stumble. I'll tell you this, too, and it just came to my mind. It wasn't in my notes. You know, a lot of people are on social media, and uh, sometimes Christians can put things on social media that are really stumbling to other people. That's a really big problem. Most of you are not going to friend me now or unfriend me, but honestly, I don't judge. I don't judge, but you can make an assessment and say, you know, that's, you know, I I restrict a lot of the things I put on social media because maybe I I want to come out with something that's emotional. Maybe it's not taken taken right. So we have to be careful of that. So there's a, a whole bunch of ways that we can do things to offend or or stumble or whatever, and we really don't want to do that. So there's a lot to this. Uh, We're going to look at this in three parts. Before we jump in, as we always do, we do the animal or the insect or the plant of the day. And this is a little sidebar if you're new to the church. It's a little series on God's um, complexity in nature. Some of the animals and insects, you just kind of take a quick glance. Until you study them, you don't realize that they are that complex. So this morning we're going to be looking at the elephant not a real one. It's going to be on the video. And you see a lot of things going on with the elephant. Now, I thought they were just kind of big lumbering creatures until I actually did a study on them, and I found out a lot of things about them. They can get up to about 14,000 pounds. God has provided them with legs like pillars to be able to support that weight. As you can imagine, they're very heavy. 
they can also live up to 70 years, seven zero. That's a long time. Uh, we know that they are, they have these very large ears, especially the African elephants. And if you look closely at their ears, they're inundated with capillaries. And that's how they dissipate heat. As a matter of fact, a lot of times you see elephants flap their ears. And that's a, an additional way that the, you know, the, uh, the evaporation to cool down the blood and, you know, keep their heads cool in the hot climates. They use seismic communication. They can make these uh, noises and, and frequencies that are well below human hearing, right? Human hearing is 20, 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz, and we can't hear above that or below that. The elephants communicate under 20 hertz. It's a very, very low rumble. As a matter of fact, I don't know how they do this, and I don't know how they figured this out, but an, an elephant can pick up the rumblings of a thunderstorm 150 miles away, Right? So they're fascinating. I think one of the most fascinating things about the, tr the elephant is their trunks. You know, you, you look at their trunks and they, they do a lot of things. They can scoop up two and a half gallons of water and hold it in that trunk. They use it to spray themselves with the trunk. They also use uh, it to pick up dirt and put dirt on them, I guess, for the, the bugs and things like that. They use their trunks for smelling and they also use it for reaching food. Remember we talked about the horse. Their lips are prehensile lips. Their horses grip things and, and, and feel things with their lips. Well, there's a prehensile feature on the end of the trunk for feeling, touching. Um, they also use in their trunks, they use muscular, what's called muscular hydrostats, which we talked about the octopus last Sunday, where we have uh, human skeletal muscles that rely on the skeleton the octopus, the elephant in their trunk don't rely on those muscles. They have circumferential and longitudinal and different uh, muscles that work against each other. They're called muscular, muscular hydrostats. Perhaps the most remarkable quality of the elephant is the fact that they're very similar to human beings. And probably the fact that their brains are three times the size of a human brain they contain 300 billion neurons. I don't know who sat there and counted them, but uh, that's a lot of neurons. So they can do simple tasks. They can also do complex tasks. They're very social creatures. Uh, I did watch this video before, but there was a part where when the elephants greet each other, they use their trunks. They, they greet each other face-to-face, -face and their trunks inter, interact with the other trunk, and they, they kind of go through this little dance, sort of when we would hug somebody to say hello or give them a handshake. So the elephants greet each other. Sadly enough, they also have great empathy when, when one of theirs goes down, and they seem to go through a, mor a mourning ritual around the elephant who's passed away. That's remarkable. In addition, they also will raise and nurse another, I believe they're called calves, the baby elephants. So if someone passes away, they'll raise their children. They kind of adopt them. Pretty fascinating, isn't it? You know, it's, uh, it's, you know, I've never been too close to an elephant. Certainly don't want them stepping on your foot. But uh, they are fascinating creatures. Okay. Now we're going to jump into Romans 15. Paul says, remember we're going through this contiguously, right? Every Sunday we go through, uh, we just continue through the book of Romans until we get to the end and see what we've learned. But he says, we then who are strong, because we just covered the practice or the Christian liberty, right? Liberty or love. 
Um, today, the message is titled Unity or Selfishness. But so Paul continues, he says, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let us let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification or building up for even Christ did not please himself. But as that is, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. And that's taken from Psalm 69, which we'll get to. So one out of three is to bear each other's burdens. Now, again, the context uh, from chapter 14, which we just covered, had to do with Christians in the church. And in any church, any local gathering, there's going to be Christians that are very mature and brand new Christians. So they're going to be immature. And that's not a pejorative. That's just a fact. They, they haven't grown. They just received the Lord. And there's a lot of things that they have to learn. So in this church in Romans, uh, in the Roman church, Paul was trying to express to the, the weaker believers, right, to integrate and to, to grow and to seek out the truth. But he's also talking to those who are stronger to bear and have patience with the weaker ones. Because, you know, they're going to be holding on to beliefs that just aren't true. They're going to be fearful in some ways. And again, we see that today. So both the mature and the immature in the Roman church had some fault. So Paul's giving them the bigger picture of why it's important to get along and work together. So verse 1, the strong bear with the weak. Now, this is a societal maxim even outside of Christianity. To bear, and I like to go into the original words, you know, to pull out more of the flavor to bear means to endure or to carry. So we see that again in the world. We see that in the military. We see that with first responders. They respond and they sometimes have to carry someone who can't care for themselves. Um, so we do that in our society. And it's a proper thing to do for the strong to care for the weak. But we also see this in God's economy. In Galatians 6, 2, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ and not please ourselves. So with strength and maturity comes responsibility, not just to please ourselves. And honestly, if we are been in the Lord for a while and our whole life is living for ourselves, there's something wrong. There's a part of our character that's missing. You know, and, and people get like that sometimes, you know, they get into this mindset where, well, I'm going to get mine now or whatever it is, a, a, an illness or a retirement or whatever it is. You know, people get into this mindset that they, they're going to live for themselves. And that's not what the Bible says. The goal is for the weak to come to maturity with the help of the strong. Right. And it's it's tough because when you're in a church and you're studying the word, you're also competing with the culture. And our culture teaches to please self. It's all about self. But in Matthew 16, Jesus said, and again, we can read the scripture quickly and not really take it into the heart, not really digest it. Oh, you know, I can quote scripture. Well, I can quote scripture, but can I live scripture? So in Matthew 16, Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. Well, what does that mean? And that's something we need to understand, to deny ourselves when society is saying, love yourself. And it's not saying that we shouldn't love the fact that we're alive and love our lives, but some people are just so self-absorbed. And when that gets into the church, we suffer as an organization. Verse 2, he says, to please or to be agreeable to, right? To please his neighbor, leading to edification or to build, to build that person up. That's what that means, to build bridges, 
right? Um, if I can go to Philippians 2, 3 through 4, Paul says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, not only, right? So we do look out for our interests as well, but also for the interests of others. And it says leading to edification, right? Imagine a world where, where people in every community just built each other up instead of tearing each other down. And keep in mind the goal. The goal is to work together to further God's kingdom, and we're going to see that. In verse 3, the best example given, of course, is the example of Jesus. Now, in Psalm 69, it was a psalm of David. And he did bear the reproaches. Those people who hated God naturally hated David because he was a man after God's heart. So in the New Testament, Jesus also fulfills that. He literally bore the reproaches against the Father. He bore the reproaches of other. He bore the sin of the world to die on the cross to give all of us eternal life if we would believe and trust in that sacrifice. So you see that happening. Jesus' sacrifice um, constantly, either to the Father when he was on, wor- uh, when he was on the earth or with, with others. And again, he lived his whole life to serve. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, if we go back to Philippians It says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Jesus is God. Jesus, when he came down to the earth, was fully God and fully man. That did not change. Now, some look at this term, this Greek term, kenosis, when he emptied himself, how much did he actually empty? Well, he didn't empty his deity. And people debate that, right? So being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't robbery. He didn't steal God's reputation because he was God, right? But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men. That's pretty impressive. So, and and we continue in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of on the cross. Remember, it was Jesus' idea, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, to die for the sins of the world, for my sins, for your sins. That's why he came to earth, right? For this purpose, I have come, he said. And you ask people out on the street, well, why did Jesus come? And they'll say a lot of things. Well, he prophesied, and he did. He did miracles, and he did. He raised the dead, and he did. But he came to die for our sins. So the context for the Christian who thinks they're making some great sacrifice by... And again, we, this context of chapter 14, and people do that today too. Well, I'm going to abstain from this food, or I'm going to abstain from this drink, or I'm going to observe a day, or a rite, or a ritual, or I'm not going to observe. Uh, so all these things. And what he's saying is, if you really want to make a difference in the world, try sacrificing for others. And that's a huge part of our Christian character, to sacrifice and sometimes we need to step back and say to ourselves, so if I look at my life, right, in a quiet place, look in the mirror, is my life all about me? Right? And, and ask, ask, we have to ask ourselves that question honestly. And if it is, to ask the Lord. I mean, we don't read the scripture to feel good on a Sunday morning and then go home. We read the scripture to live it as best we can. That's why God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. He desires us to live it. He wants to help us in living it. 
But being Christ-like is not an easy road. Being mature, um, having strength is not an easy road. And many of you have, have been there. You know, you've, many of you have led somebody to the Lord. You've counseled them. You've been there in their time of need. You've helped them get employment. You've done these things. And then when something better seems to come along and you get them to a good place, there's just no loyalty. They don't consider you. They, they just whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a sad thing. But the Bible tells us that our rewards are not here. And there's too many even Christians that are trying to make their rewards or their kingdom or their utopia here. And that's not what the scripture says. In 2 Corinthians, and this is, I think, I love the Apostle Paul. You know, he seems like he's iron. But then there's moments that he writes and you see his heart. So he was human. And I love that about him. He says in 2 Corinthians twelve fifteen. He had a rough road with the Corinthians. They were difficult, and they, they, they fought with him, and they maligned him at times. He says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. That's a sad principle. But did Paul say, well, I'm done with ministry? Did Paul say, well, I'm done with people? No, he didn't. He continued until his last day because he knew that his reward was going to be in heaven. So, continuing on, Romans 15, verse 4, he says, Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we would, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Now, may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, that you may, with one mind and one mouth, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, two out of four is that unity... Christian unity leads to glorifying God, right? And again, what is our, our goal as Christians? Do we want to glorify God? I do. Um, I know I can't do it in my own strength, though. I know that for a fact. It has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. But what does he say? I mean, what are we talking about when dealing with difficult interpersonal relationships? Listen, we have difficult relationships with, <laughs> it's the holidays, right? There's all these uh, studies and surveys that have come out that a lot of people are stressed out during the holidays because they're going to meet family that they haven't seen before. They're going to meet, they're going to talk to other people and they might talk politics. They might talk religion. And for some, it's actually quite stressful. And these are, this is all the polling uh, bears this out. Same thing happens in the church, right? Who are sinners coming together and God says, play nice in the sandbox, so to speak. It's not easy sometimes depending on who you're dealing with. But we need patience, comfort, and we need to hold on to hope because we need patience when we're tempted to lose patience with others. We need comfort when we hurt dealing with others. When people hurt us, we need to be comforted. Sometimes, depending on the situation, it's only the comfort that God can provide. You know, maybe you're taking a stand and a lot of people, it's alienated a lot of people, right? But you know, you're looking for that comfort, and it's got to come from the Lord. And hope when things seem hopeless. And again, I'll just say this as well. Sometimes we need to have patience with ourselves. You know, there's some of you here that you serve others, and you do things for others, and you, you don't even, you're not concerned about your own needs. Or you're frustrated with yourself because you're not there yet. You're not at a certain place. You know, have patience with yourself as well. Have patience with God's plan. Patience is hard. It really is. I struggle with patience, too. I'll just be a little confession from the pulpit. So patience is a tough thing, 
right? But it, you'll find that over the years, the more you're in the faith, the more you walk with the Lord, you slowly start to develop more patience, and that's a good thing. So what we need to learn, too, as we become more mature is that God is the source, that there's certain things God can provide that people can't, and actually God wants to be the source. He says in verse 5, Now may the God of peace and comfort grant us like-mindedness towards one another, right? And that's once we go to God. And there's that expression that in order to spill out on others in a good way, in order to bless others, we have to be filled. Almost like a vessel with, with fluid in it. You know, if it's empty, you can't really pour out that good stuff on other people. You know, we, we need to be filled by God. We need to be filled by the Holy Spirit. He says to be like-minded. And that literally means to set the affection or to be mentally disposed towards that person. It doesn't mean we agree or like everything about that person or their behavior. Right? The Bible says, if at all possible, be at peace with all men and women. If, it, if it's possible. Sometimes some make it impossible. And, and that's on them in a sense. They just don't want anything, anything to do with you. They just have this issue with you and there's really no reason for it. And they want to do their own thing. You can still pray for that person, right? The local church is a microcosm of working together before we export what we're working on to the unsaved world. So we have to say that, you know, we come together as a church and, and we've talked about all the things that we do at this time of year. And we do a lot of things you know, even in the winter and in the fall and the summer, we're always doing something as a church to try to bless other people. But we really have to come together and work together before we can even setting up things, you know, setting up whether it's food outreaches or clothing or ministry or whatever, all the things that we do, we have to work together, right, in order for us to now to export it to the world. And, it, you know, Jesus said, I leave you a command that you love one another. So people are perceptive. Just because somebody's unsaved doesn't mean they're not smart. They can tell. Do we enjoy working together? Do we like each other? Or we do it grumbly? You ever see somebody who does a, a, you know, a good deed kind of grumbly? And you wonder why they're doing it at all, right? They're just unhappy about doing it. And that's really not the, the idea. But this is cool. 4, 5, and 6. Verse 4, God gives us the power. Verse 5, we use these qualities to become unified. Verse 6, when we're unified, the goal is to glorify God. So we don't glorify God in the vacuum, right? Hebrews 10.25 says not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that's what church is, the assembling of ourselves together. You know, I mean, when I grew up in a denomination, I'm just going to use myself as an example. I didn't know all these things. I didn't know all these principles. I thought, again, I wasn't saved. I thought you just need to go to church so that you don't go to hell when you die. You know what I'm saying? These are the, as a young person and, you know, kind of not learning a lot from religion, I didn't realize that, well, once you believe in Christ, he saved us from that. Then as we, as we come together in a local church, we work together to glorify him and serve. And we have that peace and joy. That's, that's really neat. So church is, is, you know, there's no such thing as a Christian loner. Right? We're not supposed to be, not L-O-A-N-E-R, but L-O-N-E-R. We're not supposed to be Christian loners. We need to come together and assemble in order to be unified and to glorify God. There's nothing cryptic about what God desires in his word. He's very specific. Last few verses for this morning is 7. Therefore receive one another just as Christ has also received us. To the glory of God 
Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision or the Jews for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And he uses different Old Testament scriptures to make his case. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So three out of three is Christ set the example for unity both in the Jews and the Gentiles, and we must follow that example. Now verse 7, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This is a reflective principle, right? We see this with forgiveness. Jesus says, I've forgiven you. Of all your sins, I expect you to forgive others because we've offended God a lot worse than anybody on the planet can offend us. We see this with love. God's like, I've loved you. You need to go love others, right? It's sad when Christians who have received so much love and grace from God and others can't turn around and show it in return. That's a real problem. That's a huge sticking point in their growth with God. Right? Jesus didn't die for us when we were perfect. He probably died for the sins of the world, probably at the, one of the worst times in human history. So he didn't wait for us to be good and to be pleasing, to die for us. He died for us while we were sinners, while we were still thumbing our nose at him and still offending him with our lifestyle and our sin. He didn't expect us and wait for us to be perfect, so we shouldn't expect that from others. He says, receive one another. That means to take to or to admit to friendship. Again, and I have to say this, and I have to remind myself when I tend to get irritated with some, I have to go back to the grace that God has shown me. I have to go back to the fact that even as a Christian, I haven't always been faithful to him. So who am I to put somebody outside my forgiveness or my love or my acceptance? And, you know, let's just be honest. Sometimes we have to have those discussions with ourselves and the Lord. He came for the circumcision, but he also came for the Gentiles. John ten sixteen. he says to his disciples, I have other sheep, not from this fold. I must bring them also. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. Amen? I mean, the Lord, the Lord foresaw cultural differences. He saw, he foresaw the problems with trying to get the Gentiles to integrate with the Jews. They were such different people in so many ways. The Lord saw this coming. But does the Lord always ask us to do easy things? No. Usually the more you grow in the Lord, sometimes the things he asks us are even more difficult. But again, we need, we need God and his power to do these things. We can't forget that. It isn't, okay, I have to do this. You have to seek the Lord in order to be able to do those things. Right? Verse 13 I read it again. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You would, this almost seems like it doesn't belong in here. It seems like a soliloquy. It seems like an aside. But it's here. And the reason is because it has everything to do with what we just read. In those difficult situations, 
we have to seek God's divine power. And again, we've done um, so many things here in this church, especially in the last month. You know, we again, can we do these things without the Lord? Physically, sure we can. Sure we can. I'll let you in on a little secret. When we were young, right, my mom and dad split, and there wasn't as many safety nets as there are today. We went through a time of financial hardship. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many people remember? The the terms are so different. They all change, and they're remade. How many of you remember the term? I'm dating myself. The term to be on welfare. Wow. (laughs) Well, we were on welfare, and people did help us. And you could tell the difference between somebody who felt like it was their obligation to help you or they really wanted to help you because they loved you. And I have to remember that when I go out and when we do outreaches, am I just punching a clock? Am I doing it to make the church look good? Or do I really want to? And, and there's nothing wrong with praying before you do an outreach. Lord, give me the strength. Give me the power. Give me the love to just love people that are complete strangers. So people know, they know, they know if we're just doing something because the church told us to do it or because God would be mad at us if we didn't do it, which aren't good reasons, or if we're doing it because we really have the love of God and we care for them. They can see it in your eyes. They really can. They can see it in your countenance because I've been on both sides. So I, I know, right? Um, the sermon title is Unity or Selfishness. Because disunity is selfishness. Disunity is destructive to further the kingdom of God. You know, there are Christians who have a, a shallow or selfish lifestyle. And they can talk so much about how long they've been in the Lord. But if they don't have unity, if they don't work with other believers to glorify God, there's a, there's a flaw in their character that still needs to be developed. The message in all this is, what pleases God? Is it good works, rote works? Is it seminary? Is it aggrandizement of self that pleases God? Or is it sacrifice? Is it unity? Is it denying self? And that truly is what leads to glorifying God. I'm going to leave you with this. So there's a, he's a magician, but he's also, he's also an atheist. You ever hear of Penn Jillette, Penn and Teller? He's, I don't follow him because he can be very profane. However, somebody led me, and I've referenced this before, to a video that he did. And he talks about, I guess he was going on a trip, and he runs into a Christian businessman. And I, I'm not sure, forgive me, if it was on the plane or wherever it was, but they had some time to talk. He was a total stranger. And this Christian man was completely genuine. He starts to share the gospel with him. And he says, you know, I'm not a Christian. He goes, boy, but this guy was so genuine. He goes, and he really believed what he was saying. And then he said, I've met a lot of Christians in my life. And he said, if you really believe that the way to salvation and to be saved from your sins, leading you to judgment, is by the cross, all you Christians who I've met before, how much do you have to hate me, that's what he said, to not share the love of Christ with me? Now, mind you, the guy's not a Christian. I think every once in a while, every once in a while, the Lord allows the unsaved world to shoot a shot across the bow 
for us in the Christian culture to see that, you know, it isn't about us. We choose to follow the Lord or we choose not to follow the Lord. Remember, if we choose to follow the Lord, we're not the leader anymore. He is. He is. Listen, I'm going under anesthesia this week, and if I don't wake up, I'm not punking out on this sermon. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> add a little humor to the, to the discussion. Um, but listen, that's going to be my, to my dying breath, I believe this. I'm not here because it's a job. I'm not here because I have to be here. I'm here because I believe what Jesus did on the cross for my sins and for yours. And so I, I hope till my last breath and my last ability of my vocal cords and my brain waves to work, that I'm going to share the truth of the gospel. It's been almost, it's been about 25 years I've been a believer. And um, I believe everything that it says in this book. And if you consider me your pastor and your spiritual leader, in a sense, under shepherd, God is the ultimate shepherd, then I'm telling you what the scripture says. And I'm telling you that we're going to deal with difficult things in our personal lives and in the church. But God has called us together for a purpose. And part of the purpose is to glorify him. And part of the purpose of to glorify him is for people to see, like Penn Jillette, saw that this man, it was in his soul, it was in his eyes, it was in his countenance. He believed what he was preaching to him. And he was so moved that he made a YouTube video about something a YouTube video about something that he doesn't necessarily believe in. That's how powerful this man's testimony is. Is it possible that he is just so caught up in the world and money that he probably does believe it's true, but he hasn't making the leap yet? I've had people tell me that. I'm just not there, but I can't refute anything you're saying. What, What does it matter? Maybe another person will come by and they'll close the deal, so to speak. But the man gave it his all. So brothers and sisters... When we ask ourselves, listen, we all have jobs. We all have things we do in our personal lives. But as Christians, what's the goal? The goal is to glorify God. The goal is to get as many people into heaven. I don't care. They could be a total stranger. Could be the guy pumping my gas. I'll strike up a conversation with him if he's not busy. Because I don't even know him, but I want him to go to heaven too. Amen? Let's pray. You've been listening to... To every generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.